are some days where you're totally overwhelmed by God's goodness. So today is one of those days for me, so thanks for reminding us. Um, we stand in awe of this awesome and amazing God that we serve. He is so stinking good. Um, my name is Pastor Andrea. I'm Andrea Sautel. I'm the youth pastor at Wollaston here. I teach a couple youth ministry classes. Um, this is my home, and I feel blessed that I get to call this my home uh, and that I have the opportunity to share with you a little bit of my story this morning of how God has been moving. Some of you may know I'm a mom of a four-year-old boy named Baruch. He is the cutest boy that you will ever see in the world, guaranteed. Uh, but last summer, I wanted to be a cool mom, and so I decided to get him a hermit crab. And my husband, Nate, if you've met him, is very practical and said, that's a stupid choice. Don't get the crab. We're going to be taking care of him in like two weeks. And sure enough, we got back from vacation, and Baruch was like totally disinterested in this hermit crab. And about three weeks into it, we had forgotten to feed it. We had forgotten to, like, put the water on the sponge. It's not that hard. To, they're, they're, they're lucky they've entrusted us with a child. It's not that hard to take care of a hermit crab. But we looked in the cage, and good old Spidey, which is what we named him, his body was, like, strewn throughout the cage. And we're like, oh, man, worst parents ever. The, the hermit crab is dead. Well, after about two weeks of him being dead, I'm in the living room, and I'm sitting on my couch, and I'm watching television, and Nate comes into the room, and he's like, the hermit crab's alive. And I'm like, what? He's like, Spidey, he's moving in there. And I'm like, he was just in pieces last week. He said, no, he's in a shell. He's, like, moving around there. And I sure enough go in there, and I'm like, darn it. Now our kid is stoked. We've got to take care of this stupid crab again, which actually was never dead. It was just, like, molting, I guess. And within two more weeks... He was legit dead, and I'm not going to lie, I was kind of a happy mom in those moments, except for with my son. He was like, maybe he's going to come back to life again. Like, dude, the thing is dead. He's not alive. There's nothing that we can do to bring about life in that situation, Baruch. Ironically, those are the same words that I felt about my life and my ministry last February as I sat inside of a church service struggling to believe that there was life to my spiritual life and to the ministry that God had placed me in. And there were wo words spoken by a pastor that day. She said this, I have it written in my Bible, whatever you ask of God, he will do, trust him. And I sat there wondering if I believed that in my heart. He had, she had just shared the passage I'm going to share with you this morning, which is Ezekiel 37. And Ezekiel was this prophet, and he found himself in what seemed to be an impossible situation. He had been called to prophet this group of people, uh, the Jewish people who, after 100 years of living in captivity, over 100 years, God had not only rescued them, but he had given, the, given them this promised land. He had given them a nation, a king. Things were great, and their thanks and gratitude were to turn their backs on God. And this obviously wasn't a great choice. It never is a great choice to turn our backs on God, but God gave them free will nevertheless. Their choices resulted in captivity. Again, their temple was destroyed, their nation was no longer, and the people were just scattered among their enemies. They were destitute. They had no chance for hope, and it was a pretty lifeless situation. And so God brings Ezekiel onto the scene, and he asks them the question, do you think that life can be brought to this particular situation? And we see that unfold in the first few verses of Ezekiel 37. So if you have your Bibles and you'd like to turn to it, this is one of the greatest stories ever. It says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. 
He led me back and forth among them, and I saw great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. I don't know that Ezekiel really needed a reminder of what kind of situation he found himself in because it was pretty destitute, but God brings him into this vision, shows him this vision, shares it with him, and he finds himself in the middle of this valley of land full of dry bones. And I've been picturing what it would feel like to be Ezekiel in those moments as he looks out and all he sees is bones upon bones upon bones, bones that have been left from this bloody battle, bones that have been strewn all over the place that are battered, that are worn, that are dry. And then the Lord looks at all the bones and says to Ezekiel, hey, what are the odds that these bones can live? And my guess is in his human heart, he was probably like, uh, Lord, the odds aren't looking great. When we find ourselves in a situation where hope is lacking or our strength is exhausted or our souls are dry or our spirit just seems as though it's non-existent, we can find ourselves struggling to believe that God has the capability of showing up. And that's where I was finding myself last winter as I struggled to believe the phrase I had written in my Bible, whatever you ask of God, he will do. Trust him. Some of you know that when I took this job, it was a dream job. I've told you that in chapel before. I got to work here in this place that I love. ENC is in my DNA for a long, long time. It was a job that I had not only prayed for, but a job that I knew God had called me to this place for this time. I was 37 years old when I came. I had 12 years of youth ministry under my belt. I had a million ideas of what I was going to do in this land that he had placed me. I knew it was a post-Christian world up here in New England with very little talk of Jesus in anywhere. But I was up for the challenge because I wanted to see people come to Christ. I wanted to see God bring about life to people who had not found the hope of Jesus. And a year into it, I felt as though I was standing in this valley looking at a bunch of dry bones. It wasn't as even though that we had nothing happening in our ministry. We had kids coming to our youth group. There were lots of them. But we were struggling to get past the surface. Meaningful conversations were like few and far between. I didn't feel like I was building a relationship with any kid. I didn't feel like I had any kind of connection. And I was struggling. I started doubting the things that God had called me to do, the things that I had given my life to for the past decade. And I started to ask questions like, maybe this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. Maybe at 37 years old, I'm just too old or I'm too irrelevant or I'm too out of touch to reach young people. And I began to doubt and think, maybe God has something different. I don't know. But I was face down so many mornings during my times with God just begging him to show up begging him to show me some sign of life and bring about something to what felt so dry in my heart. When asked by God, can these bones live, Ezekiel's answer is not what we would declare at all times. He says this, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. And I think that's a pretty huge statement because sovereign means powerful. So in those moments, Ezekiel was claiming, you're the powerful one. You know what you can do here in this destitute land. He knew God was the God who had parted seas for armies, raised people to life, taken people out of the mouths of lions and brought life to the barren. He was fully aware that if God wanted to bring life to a dead situation, he would. And so he begins to enter this valley with God and his God begins to do what seemingly is impossible. 
verse 4. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, because, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone and that we've been cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Oh, my people, I'm going to open up your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up for them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. And I have done it, declares the Lord. I imagine and have imagined what Ezekiel must have felt like as he was standing in that valley. Like it's a little bit like a little Halloween horror film. All of a sudden, bones are turning into people and people are turning into life. And he's standing there and he's not just watching it happen. God invites him to become this participant in it. And he instructs him, preach to those bones. Speak truth to the bones. Declare to your people, says the Lord, that their state is not hopeless, despite what it, looks, what it may look like. He begins to tell the bones that they will be given life, and all of a sudden this powerful word of the Lord starts to piece the bones together, the flesh and the tendons and the skin. And in those moments, Ezekiel recognizes what happens when you speak the power, powerful truth of the Lord. When we find ourselves in the valley or stuck in a situation that seems to be lifeless, our first instinct isn't usually to speak what we know to be true about God. We aren't quick to talk about his sovereignty or his omnipotence. But in our humanness, we talk about what's not happening. We can't shake this depression. Our job is sucking the life out of us. School is just too stressful. It's too hard. I don't feel God. I don't even know if I know God. I don't see God. And we forget what we know to be true. He is all-loving. He is all-knowing. He is powerful. He knows our name. He knows us personally. He has a plan. He is gracious. He just is. And when we find ourselves in the midst of a valley of dry bones, God asks us to not only speak what's true of him, but he asks for us to ask for the Holy Spirit to invade our life. And that's a pretty powerful ask. When we ask for the Spirit to breathe life into us, we're talking about a significant kind of power Ezekiel sees it firsthand. God says in verse 9, Ezekiel, speak again, but this time ask for the very breath of God to enter those bones, those slain bodies laying there. And so he does. And in these moments, this entire army of people raise up, and it's this amazing picture of what happens when the Spirit of God gets inside of us. He becomes the source of life. He rescues us from darkness. He calls out courage. He renews us with his strength. He literally breathes life into spaces that look and feel lifeless. And the impossible becomes possible. That day as I wrote those words, ask God for anything, he'll do it, trust him. I also wrote in my journal, 
I've begun to think about my youth group and the desire I have for them to know and understand and surrender their life to the work of the Lord. I feel like God is saying, whatever you ask of me, I'll do. So I feel like he wants me to get serious about prayer. He wants me to get serious about heart change with these teens. And honestly, I feel like there's not a lot that I can do, and I'm not even sure I have control over it, but I know that God can raise spiritual deadness to life. I believe that, and I want that for this place. So in those moments and those days, I began to speak what I knew to be true about God, what I'd come to love and serve him for. I knew he never had called me to a place to just leave me high and dry staring at things. I knew that he wanted to give us and bless us in ways and like blow our minds with things that he had for us. And so I began to ask his spirit to invade my heart, my soul, my mind. I prayed for the spirit to move. I prayed in a way that I believed he could show up at my church. He could show up on the campus of Eastern Nazarene College. He could show up on the South Shore in the school systems, which don't seem to have a whole lot of talk of Jesus. And over those next six months, i got to be totally honest with you, if you read my journal entries, you'd be like, she's a broken record. I was not feeling a whole lot of movement of God. I wasn't seeing a whole lot happen, and I still felt like I was sort of standing in the valley looking at these bones that were dry. But I could not shake that vision in my mind of what happens when the Spirit of God raises the dead to life. And I kept seeing it over and over. I kept hearing it in devotions. I kept hearing it on the radio. I would hear the lyrics saying in songs. And I kept, like, God was still saying, pray for my spirit to move. Well, throughout those six months, I was preparing my youth group to go on their first trip overseas to do missions. And I had been praying specifically that their hearts would be awakened. About two days before I left, I was sitting on the couch next to my mom. And I said, Mom, I feel like I'm throwing a Hail Mary pass. Like, this is it. And if God doesn't show up and, like, move something in the hearts of our teens, like, I don't know that I can do this. I don't know that I can be here. And she said, you know what, it's not about what you can do or what you have planned for you or your teens. You have no control over that. It's totally about what God can do through his spirit moving. He will move in your teens' lives. Trust him. As Ezekiel stood in the valley of the dry bones watching this vision of what could take place when God gets a hold of his people, I think he couldn't shake that vision. The Lord had told Ezekiel, this isn't some cute story. It's not just some cute Bible story. It is about what can happen when my spirit gets inside of your soul. Those bones are Israel, and I'm going to do something epic there. I'm going to take the people out of their dead state. I'm going to bring about life, and my spirit is going to get so wrapped up in my people, I'll settle them in their land, and they'll step back, and they will look and say, only God could have orchestrated that. And that's exactly what he did. God often stands with us in our valleys and he asks us the question, what do you think I can do here? When we're struggling with depression or lack of self-worth, when we have no idea what we're supposed to do with our future or our life, when we feel broken and we feel lonely and we feel lost and we feel unloved, when we feel spiritually dead with no hopes of a revival, he is not asking us what we think we can do. He's asking us to declare who he is. He's asking us to declare that he's a God that can breathe life into the dead places that we have deemed as unlivable. There are literally no limits as to what he can do. That week on that trip, I saw God move in my teens' hearts and lives. He got inside of them. He woke them up. Uh, he has still awakened them as they've come back and they've now gotten into their school systems and some crazy things have started to happen, which are stories for another day. 
God is showing up and he's moving and his spirit is moving. I felt it on the campus here. I felt it in our church. We felt it in our ministry. But what I hadn't realized was how much God was going to move and breathe life into me. It was as though he, like, was wanting to surprise me and surprise my expectations. About midweek of that trip, we found ourselves ministering to these elderly people in a nursing home. Most of the people in this place had HIV. There were a few teens scattered. It was a really strange situation. We partnered that day with a local church, and my friend had invited her youth pastor and some leaders from her church to partner with us. And the youth pastor decided to do this short devotional for teens. And so we all collectively got together, and he began to speak about hope and how hope changes. And I'm looking at all these people thinking, like, this is a group of people that needs hope. Like, their life is on the line. Then he invited this worship leader to come forward. Her name was Raquel. And she got to the middle of our circle, and she stood there, and she looked directly at me, and she began to speak to me. And she began to call things out in me. She began to say, God wants you to know that you're loved and that you're valuable and that he's using you. And that despite the days that you feel like you are nothing, he sees you. And he has you here for a purpose and he has you here for a reason. It was as though Raquel had gone into my journal entries and just read them one by one. I literally had met her like a half an hour before this happened. I sat there sobbing, thinking like, here God is speaking these words of truth. He's bringing life into these dead places that I'm not even sure I had spoken too much to too many people around me. My sister and my friend were standing behind me, sobbing, knowing like, this was God bringing life to dry bones. And I felt his spirit move. Right after she sat down, she invited her pastor to come back up. And he invited my husband. He said, I want him to come up here. And so my husband and I stood there, and no one could hear. He was speaking to us in Spanish. Somebody was translating. It was just us. And he said to me, God wants you to know he wants to bless you with something in your home. And I was like, okay. He said, I don't even know what it is. I've never been to your home. I don't know you. I just met you. But he wants you to know that he wants to bless you beyond what you could imagine. He wants to bring life to places beyond what you could imagine. I don't know what it is. I'm not talking about your ministry. I'm not talking about this trip. I'm not talking about anything except for something specifically you two are praying for in your family at home. And I walked away from that guy and I thought in my life, like, there's been some weird moments where people have said stuff to me and I've been like, eh, yeah, I don't really know if that's, like, legit. But I'm telling you, I walked away from that moment and I felt in my heart, whatever that man is saying God is speaking to me about, that is going to happen. That is God's truth. He is speaking truth into my life. Three weeks later, we come back to this space. My teens are moving. Things are happening. And we get this call from our adoption agency. They call us and they tell us um, this process that we're in to adopt this little girl from India. She's two years old. We thought we were going to come home next summer with her. They called to tell us that we had passed court three weeks after our trip. We were waiting to be registered for court. We didn't even know we were in the system. Once you get registered, it's like five more months of waiting. And we're on the phone with our social worker, and I'm like, what? She's like, you passed. You're going to bring her home, like, before Christmas. Like, what? I'm sitting there thinking, like, God said it. He was speaking life into what you felt like was dead. Later that night, we're still standing there, and we're in awe, and I get this phone call from this girl who I barely know that's a friend of my sister's. She said, hey, I was wondering if I could give you $8,000 towards your adoption. 
you don't have to take it if you don't want it. I was like, what? First of all, who says no to that? What? <laughs> she was giving up adoption money from her adoption that God hadn't moved yet on to give it to us. I was like, um, yeah, let me talk to Nate. Yeah, yeah, pretty sure we're going to take that. She passed that over to us. Two days later, my teens gave us a check for like $2,000, and within a matter of 48 hours, we were going to be going to pick up this daughter in like two months, and God had just gifted us with $10,000. Like, I stood there thinking about what God said to Ezekiel. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live. I will settle you in your own land, and then you will know that I, the Lord, your God, have spoken. I've done it. One of the first times in my life that I felt like God said this, and here it happened. It's easy to sit in the middle of the valleys and to just look at what we see and in this world that we live in and to think, you know what? God's kind of not going to move in this situation. Death's one. But Jesus Christ, the Jesus Christ that was raised from the dead, that power is living inside of us. And that Jesus says, I've come to give you life and to give it to you in the full. He has not come to let us sit in the valley and sulk and be in sorrow. He's come to stand in the valley with us and to look at us and say, what do you think I can do in this situation? And so he asks us to speak what we know to be true about him. He asks for us to invite his spirit to invade our hearts and our lives. Last night I was at a Bethel worship concert. I think some of you guys were there because I saw your pictures. You guys raising your hands. It was epic. Here's what was awesome about it. Not just the fact that they can sing and they're amazing. But I watched as young people, most of who were your age actually, I felt rather old there. Young people in their 20s, totally uninhibited in worship towards their God. Like raising their hands saying, God, I want more of you in my life. I want your spirit to invade my soul. I want to go where you go. I want to do what you're asking me to do. I want to trust who you are. And it was like this picture of heaven. And I thought, oh my goodness, like God is on the move. He wants to show up in this place at Eastern Nazarene College. He wants to show up in your personal life. He wants to bring life to the dead places. Side note, um, we have some kids come over from here at the college on Spaghetti Wednesday on Wednesdays. And last week I said, we need this other thing to happen in our adoption. It hasn't, adop it hasn't happened. I said, it just makes God's goodness even the better if it would just happen. Legit, I pull up an email last night. <laughs> you passed. Your written's are ready. We're going to get the passport. You're going to travel in like the next literally month and a half, maybe before Thanksgiving, to get this little girl. God is in the business of showing up in the places where we look and think, I don't know if things can move. I don't know what valley you find yourself in this morning. And if you haven't found yourself in a valley at some point in time, you will. It's part of our life. But God is standing next to you in that valley. And he's asking the question, what do you think I can do to show up here? And I know we serve a God who is in the business of raising the dead to life, who's in the business of surprising us, who's in the business of walking through life. You've been talking about being the beloved. He loves us. He sees us. He knows our situation. And he is there ready to move. My hope and my prayer this morning is that you would allow him and his spirit to get inside of you. Let me pray for you as the worship team comes to close us out.
God, you are awesome. You blow our minds with your goodness. And the awesome thing is that it doesn't always happen on our time. Sometimes we find ourselves in the valley a little longer, maybe than we'd like. But you still stand with us and you give us this picture of what you can do when your spirit invades the lives of your people. God, I pray for each student, for each faculty member, for each staff member that's in this room today. Whether it's depression that the valley is, or it's broken relationships, or it's stress, or it's an unknown future, whether it's just a prayer that you've not yet answered, God, would you give hope? Would you remind us that you are still a God that stands with us? And we will praise you for the very life that you've given us in our being, the spirit of God that is at work and on the move. Father, we thank you. We love you. We give you this day, and we pray that your spirit would start a revival here. It's in your name we pray. Amen.